In a world with too much pop culture to consume, one woman and one man will argue about it until they get bored. It's an epic battle between obsession and indifference, and the winner will determine, well, very little actually, Emily Jones and Eric Johnson star in Giant Geek vs. Mega Noob. Whoever wins, we're still losers. Welcome to Giant Geek vs. Mega Noob, the podcast where we argue about something one of us is totally obsessed with. And the other has never even seen. I'm Emily Jones. And I'm Eric Johnson. Today we're watching Moulin Rouge, which I believe means red excuse mill. Me, yes? Excuse me, I'm going to interrupt right there uh, and yeah. say, point out to you that there's an exclamation point at the end of the movie. Oh, sorry. Let me and you that. sound really, really bored right now. Today we're watching Moulin Rouge. Is that better? It's an Oscar-winning phantasmagoria. I didn't write this. An Oscar-winning phantasmagoria of a film from 2001. It's directed by Baz Luhrmann of Romeo Plus Juliet. I hated that film. And Great Gatsby fame. I have not seen the great, his Great Gatsby. Uh, I really hated Romeo plus Juliet. Uh, and tells the tragic story of a poet who falls in love with the star of the Moulin Rouge in turn-of-the-century Paris. And shockingly, I've never seen it. Which, yeah, I'm not really that surprised by. Between the fact that it came out in 2001, you know, it wasn't really age-appropriate for, <laughs> for either of us when it came out. I definitely you saw it anyway? No, I didn't see it when it first came out. Okay. Because I was, like, 11. Hmm. And it's... Not really that much of an 11-year-old movie. Slightly but yeah. more interested now. <laughs> <laughs> Considering that you consistently refer to Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan Kenobi, which just makes me so sad that that's the only thing you know him from. Uh, you, you really, it doesn't, you'd expect me to see his other films? I mean, like, he's, he's in like rom-coms. Like this one? Okay, yeah, so, he is okay, not we're... in only rom-coms. Okay, well, we, we can get to that in a later episode. Yeah, so this, this movie, this movie is, is, is not a rom-com. Um, it's definitely a romance, uh, and there's some comedy in it, but, um, it's actually a musical. I knew that. And it's, it's a lot. It's, it's pretty intense. That's why I use the word phantasmagoria. There's a lot of craziness going on. It's a little bit manic. Um, as you would expect from, from Baz Luhrmann having seen Romeo and Juliet, which you didn't like, I actually didn't like it either. Um, but as we'll talk about after we watch the movie, I feel like Baz Luhrmann's lunacy mm-hmm. is uniquely well suited to what he's trying to convey in this movie okay so there's something special about this one in a way that it i haven't seen the great gatsby nor have i read the great gatsby so i can't speak uh, to that i know <sighs> somehow i graduated from a high school in the united states of america without reading the great gatsby it's pretty upsetting going on the list but anyway in a way that it's very much not suited to shakespeare i think that his insanity is a really good match for for what he's trying to do and what he's trying to portray in this movie. Okay, I, I'm ready to believe that. That, that sounds that and we'll a lot and we'll plausible. get more into the details of that after we watch the movie. So right now, Eric and I are watching Moulin Rouge, the excellent movie from which this very music comes. If you want to watch Moulin Rouge, which I strongly recommend because we are going to spoil what happens in it and talk in depth about the movie and its music, you can rent Moulin Rouge on Amazon, iTunes, or Google Play. back we have just watched moulin rouge so emily you were the geek this week you you love this movie uh why don't you start by telling us a bit about maybe one of your favorite things from moulin rouge okay you continue to sound very unenthused so that doesn't bode well um anyway start 
So believe it or not, I'm not about to tell you that I love this movie because I'm a walking stereotype and it goes great with a big cry fest and a pint of ice cream. Although all of that is also true. Okay. So I think to understand um, what I think is so great about this movie, you need to understand some things about turn of the century Paris. Okay. Okay. So for most of the 19th century into the early 20th, Paris was the capital of European modernity, at least cultural modernity. Right. That's and where the fashion came from, all the dances, all that exactly. stuff. Exactly. And it everything was constantly in flux. It was a time and place of incredible upheaval. Everything was changing from the government, which changed several times in France throughout the 19th century, to mm-hmm. the geography of the city, to the fabric of society itself. The modern world brought all these wonderful things, all this technology, all these changes to, to the culture that were great in many ways, but it also brought some really terrible things. And it also mm-hmm. brought this huge confluence of ideas and societies all into Paris. They all showed up all at once and all were in this big, giant, melding world of 19th century Paris. Well, this is where, like, the La Boheme, like the Puccini opera. Exactly. Where, I mean, that's, that's the same time, right? It's around this 1900-ish? I believe so, yes. Okay. Cool. Um, I don't know it that well, but... Right. <laughs> so, I feel like between the... So much of the Baz Luhrmann-ness of this movie <laughs> conveys all of that stuff really well. The manic editing, the way the whole thing is, like... It's never really real. It's always, like, sort of happening in fantasy land. It's always kind of happening on stage, you know? Um, it's surreal. The, yeah. Exactly. Surreal is a very good way of putting it. Um Including the, the the crazy anachronistic music um, that's mm-hmm. you know all from from the twentieth and some of the twenty first century, um, all mixed together in these weird mashups, um, and the the way that it juxtaposes like wonderful, incredible things with like really kind of menacing and scary things. Right. Like that that opening scene um, when they first visit the Moulin Rouge, for instance, is a really mm-hmm. good example of that. First of all, you've got the music from all over the place. And, no kidding. And, yeah. Um, and it's this kind of, like, seductive whirlwind of, of all of this stuff, this incredible dancing, these all these colors and everything. But at the same time, it's, like, it's really pretty scary. Like, the whenever they do, mm-hmm. like, a close-up of one of the dancers' faces, like, she really looks terrifying. She doesn't look... Right. Um, she doesn't look you know, appealing at all. And they do the same thing at the beginning when you, you zoom into Montmartre and it's mm-hmm. all, it's all like awful and terrible. There's like, there's like a dude who's like clearly strung out and all these like, like right. sad, wasting away prostitute types. And then they, they sort of restart when you go back to the beginning of it. And it's like all of this wonderful little beauty, love music. And it's like, I don't know. I just feel like it's, it really conveys all of that really well to a, to a contemporary audience that that you know doesn't necessarily know that much about that time or or think about about that period of time in that way, um, I just think it does that really well. And and I would agree with that. I as as the audience, as the new audience, I felt adequately conveyed to uh, in, in in that sense. Um, I think okay. So let's start with sort of big picture and then draw down to smaller stuff. I think as a whole, this will still count as a victory in your column because I yes. did not hate this movie. I did not hate it. However, that's I, not a ringing endorsement. <laughs> I'm not sure if I liked it. 
there so the thing is let's start with things I liked. There were there were definitely multiple things I liked, and so I'll, let me bounce these off of you. Um, the first was the sort of um, early. This is two thousand one, right when yes. the movie came out. So um, this kind of presaged mashup culture, or at least mainstream mashup culture, yeah. as I, as I grew up to know it. I, I would I would say that's that's accurate. I don't know of very at least very mainstream mashups from before this. Right. I mean, there's obviously you know, clubs were doing this with right, like, of course. DJs, but you know, disco was um, based on that. But 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 as as a big like kind of the the modern version of it, um, and I and I really like mashups. the mashup zeitgeist, if you will. Right, and and, and like uh, you know, I remember like in college, you and I both geeked out over the uh, DJ Earworm, the 2009 remix he did with Eric, all the pop songs that year. Eric, yeah, we've we've been out of college for like two and three years respectively, and we definitely Shut still up. geek out over that every year. <laughs> Come on. Fair point. Let's not, let's not lie no, to but, our but, audience okay. here. But you, you remember how good the 2009 was. One, one, it's was on my that, iPod. Right, so it's, it's, on my, it's on my phone, yeah. So, anyway, I remember very specifically how much, you know, you, we, we, like, I remember talking about that one. So, you know, you, you, you know I, I like mashups, and I, and I like the fact that this was ahead of the curve on that. I give that a big plus one for that. Uh, another thing I liked, kind of from the artistic side, was the composition of this. I think that, as as promised, this uh, the direction and the cinematography were a much better fit for this source material than for than for uh, Shakespeare than for Shakespeare. Um, I thought the Baz Luhrmann's direction uh, it def- definitely worked a lot better here. There's sort of a um, as you mentioned this surreal element, and it also kind of reminded me a bit of like a comic book, like every shot was framed very carefully. And the uh, there's the sort of cartoony way that people move and everything, and um, there was uh, a trick that he used a couple times that I really liked, which is sort of the sort of selective color palette, where it's not really in black and white, but their colors are muted except for the few things he wants you to focus on, like the red mill from from the Moulin Rouge, or or you know Ewan McGregor's face or whatever. Mm-hmm. And the um, way the way the color palette changed from again when I. Um... The, the same thing I referenced before, where the, you sort of you zoom into Montmartre, which is the the area of Paris where the Moulin Rouge is, and the first right. time you do, it's like again, it's not quite quite ba- black and white, but it's very like sepia, dark. Everything is terrible, and then the right. color palette completely changes. It, it's still not to a real world color palette, but it changes to convey brightness and excitement and everything. Right, which is kind of the narrator's perspective, where the first time we go through, we see the CD side of it, but then when he's telling the story, he talks about coming to this uh, the neighborhood, and when he's describing it, as you're saying, it's more colorful, and it's kind of his perspective, right? He's come to this place for the first time, he's so surprised at how, at the Bohemian culture, he's learning about it. Um, so that, that was, I thought, a very smart way to basically do the same fly-through of this neighborhood, but from two different perspectives. Um, so kind of the artistic composition... I liked. Um, and then the, the last thing that I, that I had in my notes is kind of like a pullout that I liked. Obviously, there, there are little things along the way. Was um, the, the ending, was sort of the, the show within show thing. Um, even though it was obvious like for a long time that, of course, this was going to be the show within a show, that that was going to be the big climax. And, of course, it was obvious Since that... Since they said she, that in the musical number where they told you what the plot of the show yeah, within a show was going to be <laughs> in the yeah, beginning. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, they, they, they did it halfway, they, they did it half an hour into the thing, and then it's like, okay, well, hour and a half till that happens. No, but, and then, and of course, you know, the Nicole Kidman, you know, of course, you know, uh, spoiler alert, obviously, um, she she dies on oh, opening I, night. Well, that is a spoiler. That's also, like, the first line of the, of the movie. True. This story is about love. The woman I lo- loved is 
fair trade. No, that, that, you that pretty was, much it was know. not a surprise. But the, the circumstances of it, I mean, the, the, it was kind of very obvious that, of course, they were going to do the big show and then she was going to die that night. You know, that seemed kind of, like, expected. And yet, at the same time, I thought they executed that last scene very well. That last kind of, um, the, the, the whole ending of doing the show and the backstage and the two overlapping and then him leaving and then the overlapping again. I thought all of that was um, a very, very well done ending um, to this. And a, a downer, but still, uh, still, <laughs> uh, still very well done. It is a downer. Although he goes on, he writes this yeah. story and yeah, it gets no, turned into this wonderful movie. So obviously, you know, yeah, all of that's real. Right. So those are the things that I read and those are the things I liked. I'm scared uh, for the next part of this sentence. Okay, so with the music, I liked the concept of the mashups, and I liked some of the mashups. Like, like for instance, the um, the uh, show must go on, the Queen song. I liked what they did with that. some of them that I liked, but some of them I, like, actively hated. Like, some of them I was just, like, I really hate what they're doing with this song right now. I should um, note, I'm before you tell me which ones those are and we get into a fight yeah. about it, I should note yeah. that there there are some of the musical numbers that I actually also don't like. I own the soundtrack to this, obviously, and there are, there are several tracks that I legitimately never listen to and, like, hit next on when they come up because they annoy me so much. Like, the... Um, the name of the track is Hindi Sad Diamonds, but... Oh, yeah. Yeah, like, I really hate that one, and I always skip it. Um, I, yeah, there's a, there's a couple songs that I that I also don't like, even though... I do overall like the whole thing. But again, now I'm really intrigued to see which ones you don't like, because this this might be fighting words. (laughs) In my notes, I actually wrote Roxanne. Ugh. Like, I wrote out U-G-H, ugh. Oh, don't you. Oh, don't you dare. When that started, started, I just was like, oh my god, can can I please just not sing the whole song for this? But of course they did. And they had the the narcoleptic Argentinian uh, guy go through the whole thing in his weird voice. Doing the tango, and it's so dramatic because his heart is breaking because he's overwhelmed by jealousy, even though he knew going in that this was going to happen. Plus, I I mean, how can you have this plot and not use that song? Well, okay, that's the thing. I mean... I know it's Baz Luhrmann. I know it's his style. I mean... I'm not even talking about Baz Luhrmann's style. I'm talking about, like, literally the plot of both the movie Moulin Rouge and the song Roxanne are about a dude who's in love with a prostitute. I mean... Right, I know, but it's kind of like... So here, here's my... Here, it gets at the bigger problem here, which is that you have these songs that I think had... You know, they, they tell stories, right? A song like Roxanne tells a story. And... I think if the song selection were more focused, it would have worked a lot better. So, for instance, if uh, this had been 1900 Paris and they had chosen only songs from, like, the Summer of Love, right? They wanted to draw a historical connection there. They wanted to do something there. I would have been totally on board with it. But it's so all over the place, and it seems so tied to just, like, the name of the song or kind of the surface meaning of what something's about. 
and that just really kind of uh, annoyed me. I think I think the biggest offender actually was not even Roxanne. Was um, after Christian sneaks up on top of the elephant and surprises. Don't Satine. you dare! The, the love medley was. No! I, no! 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 I'm just gonna keep saying no, so you can't say the words you're trying to say right now. Too bad. No, we, we can mute your track when we edit this. No. Um, I'm gonna keep yeah. objecting because I object. Medley, I object strongly to what you're saying. The love medley is just the choruses of these songs just sort of slapped together haphazardly. All you need is love. A girl has got to eat. All you need is love. She'll end up on the street. All you need is love. Love is just a game. I was made for loving you, baby. You were made for loving me. The only way of loving me, baby, is to pay a lovely fee. Just one night. Just one night. There's no way. Cause you can't pay In the name of love <laughs> One night In the name of love You crazy fool I won't give in to you And the thing is that Because it's a that, conversation Yes, I get that it's a conversation But the thing is that Since each of these songs had a story originally When you just pull out these little bits and pieces And put them together I don't think, at least in this case, I don't think the final product told a really compelling story. It just added up to a net zero of emotion for me, where it's kind of like, oh, I recognize that. Oh, I recognize that too. That's kind of that was my only real reaction to that medley was was recognition of sort of oh hey that song okay um, as opposed to as opposed to feeling like these characters were actually talking as opposed to feeling like this was you know, advancing the story of these two, these two lovers. It just, it did not click for me at all. Um, I'm guessing you, you disagree with that. Yeah. And I don't really know how to have a, actually have an argument about this because, (laughs) um, no, not because I'm like angry that you're saying this, although, you know, you are kind of upset, but, uh, no, but actually, I mean, the thing is that I have the exact op, you're saying, you're saying like that it left you with like an emotional zero kind of, Um, because I guess it sounds like you were distracted by, by playing name that tune, which is not the emotional reaction that I have ever had to it. So like, I, you know, the, our our disagreement here is like, you, you did not respond to it emotionally. And I did. Um, It it felt like name that tune was like the intended thing for a lot of this movie. Like early on, they start playing smells like teen spirit for, for like zero reason other than to have the rich people be able to sing here we are now entertain us like choices like that i'm just wondering like what what was the point other than just have the really on the nose lyric like i mean i think the point is i think the point is just to sell a soundtrack well probably that too although although i will say the smells like teen spirit thing is not on the soundtrack okay that's weird because I actually kind of liked that the mashup of that with Can Can and Lady Marmalade. I thought that was one of the better. Yeah, mashups, actually, so. that the thing that that's unfortunate because the um, that mashup isn't really on the soundtrack. Yeah, I mean, I do think I do think that a lot of the musical choices are more based on on the nose lyrics than they are mm-hmm. on something something deeper. Like that is right. that is a totally legit criticism. I will say, however, to go back to something you said a while ago, instead of to continue continue having an argument about like my favorite thing that ever happens. Your point about about wanting the the musical choices to be more focused. You said like maybe mm-hmm. they could have chosen them all from 
what we from think of as the of summer of love, love 1969 right. or, or whatever, some something more focused. And I do think that that would actually be a disservice to what I was talking about before the the whole. I can't think of another word than mashup, so I could maybe maybe I'll just say mashup yeah. um, of cultures and societies and times and and movements that that was happening historically at the time that this mm-hmm. that this movie is set and like the, that sort I of think the meta of this is that the cultures were coming together in Bohemian Paris in the same way that these songs were coming together in the movie is what right you're right. So I think I think it would it wouldn't carry that off as well if it picked hmm. songs that were more coherent. Uh, no, no, that, that's a very fair point. I, ha- I hadn't considered that. And yeah, I think there's definitely, beyond the name that tune aspect, I will say there's sort of, there is an element of, it, it's not so much sort of like, I can't wait to see what's going to be next, the way I felt about the ridiculous costumes in the Avengers, but it's more <laughs> of, it, but it, it it is more of a, um, the movie keeps you on your toes. That's one thing that I I did appreciate about this, as opposed to other musicals. Most musicals, you know, you might expect I'm not a big fan of, based on, you know, how I feel about this one. <laughs> um, but a lot, a lot of other musicals, they, um, I think they get, there's a lot of padding. There's there's always songs that are just kind of there, just to, just to be songs, just yeah, to give, Yeah, usually you know. the songs that get cut from the movie version, because they're just right. kind of like, eh. But I, I guess my point is that, you know, this movie does keep on moving quickly. Is it, There's never Despite really... being, like, two and a half hours long. <laughs> Right, just, no, despite, yeah, despite being a long movie, um, I never felt, you know, like it was, well, actually, no, that's not true. There, there was one song that was totally padding, the I'll Fly Away song, the one right before yeah. the love medley. One day I'll fly away, leave all this to yesterday, what more could your love do? That that was just That's supposed uh, to mean, be her her like character statement. I know, but she had already but, in the scene before, she'd already had a birdcage in her dressing room and turned to the bird and said, We'll fly away. It's kinda of like, Okay, cool, done, move on. Yeah, um, that's fair. But anyway. that's also um, I could be mistaken, but I believe that's one of two original songs in the movie. Yeah, that it was the other one Come um, What May well, is the big Oh, I actually kinda of like Come What oh, May. I, that yeah, was oh, you better like Come What May. Yeah, no, that's, that's uh, a good or else song. or else I might be flying out to San Francisco. <laughs> Slap me in the face. Yeah, pretty um, much. And, um, but and then, yeah, no. Some one day I'll fly away is all right, but yeah, eh, you know, it's like it was, it was kind of boring. N- Nicole yeah. Nicole Kidman needed a ballad because you and McGregor got to sing your song, sorta. That that, that that's true. Yeah, um, and then she mostly had to like squeak your song when when she was trying to like scramble, which was kind of weird. Yeah, um, I actually. I actually kind of like the way that scene goes where like he sings it and like totally she, right. you know, stops her in her tracks, you know, when no, he I sings agree. that song. And then, um, and then she has to kind of twist it around into this dark, awful, seductive thing as she's like on yep. her knees in front of the Duke. And it's just like, it's, it's a little bit funny. What is this feeling, feeling inside? I'm not one of those who can easily hide. I don't have much money. But if I did, I'd buy a big house where we both could live. I, I, I actually really like that. I think it um, yeah. it sums up a lot of what happens in the movie, and it, it conveys a lot really well. 
Yeah. No, I, I like that scene. That was um, that that was one of the first points. After so that was like first there was the sound of music, and then I think that was the second song where they they started going. I was like, oh, okay, I guess it's gonna be the movie then. <laughs> um, <laughs> the movie is gonna be you and McGregor just really, really earnestly bursting into beautiful songs at the ideal moment. Yep. Which so yes, yeah, so no. we can we can get back to me being a drastic stereotype and liking this movie with that comment. Well, I mean that's just kind of a musical trip. I don't I don't think that's really a problem. That's just kind of an observation. It's like I, mean, I don't you, think you that's have to a have, problem either. You have to have characters burst into song for the sake of a musical. So I'm willing to look the other way on that one. Um, but like just sort of on the on the topic of the on the nose thing of picking these songs solely for like one or two lines that are really just like like in in other musicals there are some musicals that I like. Um, I think my Such favorite as? is. Uh, I think my favorite is probably actually this may make me sound super immature or something, but I li- I really like the Disney version of Beauty and the Beast. I think that's a very well told musical. Agree. Yeah, and 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 the reason why I think it's so good is that every song has a specific purpose, and every song tells a story in a way that dialogue could not. And that that's really comes down to my my problem with sort of the, the picking the songs for the lyrics here is like, if you wanted to reference a song, fine. If you wanted to use those words, fine. I guess I'm just not convinced as to why they had to actually sing out the songs these lyrics are from. You, you know, um, in terms of just the whole the whole why of it, other than what you're saying, which I, I do I do understand, and I, I, I get the the meta of mashing up these cultures like culture was being mashed up in Bohemia. You know, um, so I don't know. That's just kind of it. It gains points from the fact that it was a different sort of musical, but I don't think the doesn't sell you songs... on musicals overall. Right, it, it it didn't it didn't totally cohere for me. So, um, but that's a very personal thing. I mean, obviously, you know, <laughs> it's a very popular movie, so it's it's not like my my opinion really uh, changes anything for <laughs> any it any of the my many opinion many... of how much I love it. <laughs> yeah, and then, so and the other thing that I kind of wanted to bring up was the motives for some of these characters. Again, uh, part of this is you know musical, and I am willing to, for the sake of the genre, kind of look the other way on some stuff that I would criticize a non-musical movie for more but um, so for instance a, a, obviously a big dramatic point in the movie is the discovery that uh, Nicole Kidman and Ewan McGregor are secretly having an affair after she's already been promised to the Duke played by what, David Spade whoever the hell that was <laughs> <laughs> and I know it wasn't him less but, you know, charming David Spade oh god he's so gross in, in my head I just was like no David I know Spade. he does look like David Spade um, but anyway, so after she's already been promised to him, they're, they're discovered. And the way the Duke finds out is from a random actress in the troupe who b- before that point had no lines and s- through the whole movie seemingly had no motivation to tell him other than to move the plot along. Yeah. It was kind of kind of like he's just there, you know, watching as he was. She just goes up and says, oh, by the way, you know. This ending's silly. Why would the courtesan go for the penniless writer? Whoops. I mean, sitar player. And that was just kind of like, of, of all the ways, of all the creativity in this movie, I mean, the trope of discovering the secret lovers, right? You'd think that of all the creativity in this movie, they would find a creative way to do that plot turn as well. But Yeah, I do. I, I do agree on that one. Like I, I have, I have often wondered myself, like, why does she do that? This like random Moulin Rouge dancer who doesn't even have a name. She's just like right. featured. She's kind of like, and it's like, they, they should have added something that like she wanted to be the star or 
or Whatever. she didn't want to be in the theater at all. I mean, that was one of the things. Yeah, where she needed. She um, needed some kind of. I agree that she didn't have a motivation, and it was kind of like. Meh. Right, um, and then she showed up later just to be the the Roxanne dancer. But um, yeah, other than that, she was kind of a non entity. And then, like another point later on, when um, when Satine and Christian are planning to run away, that when they you know they're trying trying to escape before the Duke can can hunt them down. Satine is in her dressing room. She's packing up her stuff. Harold finds her. This is the big moment where she's going to try and get away from him before he reveals that, no, you can't leave. You're dying. I don't need you anymore! All my life, you've made me believe I was only worth what someone would pay for me! And I was like, I didn't get that impression from Harold at all. He seemed like he was on board with the Bohemian thing and on board with her wanting to be a real actress. Like It seemed like this was, in large part, kind of for her, the fact that he was willing to give up what was very clearly a lucrative nightclub to make it, make it, to go into theater, which is not a safe business proposition, <laughs> you, you know? No, it's the, not. The, he, he seemed like a, uh, a mostly sympathetic character, but yet she was somehow, like, she was suddenly going like, oh yeah, you know, you've, you've, as, if, as if he'd mistreated her. And I just, I, I don't know, am I missing something there? Um, I mean... He is mostly sympathetic most of the time. Like, you don't really see right. that much of, um, I think, okay. I think, I think in the, um, in the overall picture of like who he is and how he treats her, you're right. He does treat her well. He doesn't, he's, he is willing to go out on a limb for her and all of this kind of stuff. But having signed away the deed of the Moulin Rouge to the Duke and having mm-hmm. put all of his eggs in her basket and in the, in the play basket, right. um, he is prepared to do almost anything to make her stay to to end the thing with her and Christian and keep the Duke happy, which of course involves putting her in front of the Duke and under the Duke. Um, So to that extent, he is at least he is motivated by what she can earn him. Definitely. And I think that to some extent when she says that, I think it's fair to say she's lashing out a bit irrationally. Okay, like, I I, I wasn't know, sure if that was I, supposed to be like a, a thing like denouncing him. Like, no, I mean he does he does treat her pretty well, although he is also very greedily motivated. You know, oh yeah, he's down he's down with the Bohemian thing, but not to the extent that it's going to lose him his money and his club because right. you know love conquers all, and she gets to go with Christian <laughs> in the end, and so he is prepared to to do almost anything to keep her from from leaving, and so I think that to some extent she she lashes out because of that. Not yeah, okay. because of how he's treated her her whole life. I, that's not entire. And you know, she also, you know, she says "you" in that moment, but there's. Mm-hmm. I think she might. She might really mean the world. That 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 makes more sense. Yeah, I, I guess. And there's one other moment that I wanted to ask about, which is in the really awful Roxanne song. Um, or the kind really of par- wonderful Roxanne song. In the really on, awful Roxanne depending song. Depending on which side of this of this podcast you're on right now. Right. So at the same time when the Argentina is singing Roxanne, uh, Christian is singing... Is that is that an original song or is that a pop song I didn't I recognize? Don't, I don't know that song. I only know that from this. I think that might be original. Let's Okay, because out. then he's... Um, at one point he's singing... Um, this is before... This is before Satine had lied to him about, like, saying, oh, I'm going to leave you for the Duke. You know, I'm going to... Basically, what she'd been told, that right. you, need to, when, you need to break his heart in order to save she, him. It was, a, at that point, she was um, theoretically about to sleep with the Duke at the dinner at the Gothic Tower, which is not a thing right. that exists. It's just a thing to be scary of, scared right. of. 
Um, but so, so this is kind of at a moment. This is before she's lied to him at all, when they're still together, and she has told him, "Oh, you know, we need to end this because um, you know people have found out." Like she's she's been very frank about like, "Look, I, this sucks," but you know, the, the, she told him everything about the situation. It wasn't like she was hiding that information. And yet in that song, he's saying. And I'm, I'm thinking, look, she didn't deceive you. She told you 100% of the truth. And, and, you know, and then it's only later that, that she's lying about her affections for the sake of his benefit, by the way. But, you know, it, it, it seemed kind of just whiny is the thing. Like, I, I know he's, he's bohemian, he's motivated by love, he's, he's overcome with, you know, he's very into sort of the concept of love, and I, I get that, but it was just, I don't know, it, it, it just made me dislike Ewan McGregor a little bit, or his character a little bit, you know. I'm glad, um, I'm glad that, you, that you made that adjustment to what you just said. Yeah. And you made me dislike Obi-Wan a little bit, you know. Uh, no. <laughs> So, I, I don't know, and, and there are other points, kind of throwaway lines and stuff, where he's just kind of like, okay, we get it, you're yeah, jealous, I mean, he just is, move he's on. he's a little annoyingly possessive, but he's also in love with her. I know, and I know. And she's in love with him, and ultimately she really doesn't want to sleep with the Duke. Yes, I know. <laughs> and Duke um, is, like, keeps turning out to be nastier and nastier the more you see him, like... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about cartoony character. The more, he's, he's, like, the more he's challenged, the worse he gets. The team will be mine. It's not that I'm a jealous man. I just don't like other people touching my things. Yeah, and like destroy his uh, hat at the time because he's so yeah. so angry about it. He's a yeah. dangerous man. Yeah. yeah, I think that's what I have my notes. Oh yeah, last question I have for you: Did the gun hit the Eiffel Tower? Is that what happened? <laughs> yes, it did. Okay. That's, because, that's all. I, I was all, just wanted to it's ask. It's all a fantasy and a stage I know. Production. I know. Okay. <laughs> all right. Uh, any other thoughts before we go? No, because now I just have now I just have that line from El Tango de Roxanne in my head, and I'm probably going to listen to it. So. All right. <laughs> uh, well, I'll let you uh, go off and go listen to your soundtrack. Um, kind of no, overall I'm probably going to go back to watching more Doctor Who, to be perfectly honest. But um, yeah, you are you're almost done with season four, right? Uh, yes, I just have to watch the end of time part two. Oh, man, you're powering through. I really am. All right, Eric, what are we going to be watching, listening to, experiencing next time? Uh, We are going to get a little bit of an antidote to all the musical stuff, all the touchy-feely romance, human emotion stuff. We're going to watch a movie about giant robots fighting giant monsters. It's uh, Pacific Rim. We're going to watch Pacific Rim. Uh, So no emotion whatsoever at all. There is some emotion. There, there, there's definitely some emotion, just not exactly on the level of Moulin Rouge. I would say there's a... You mean, the, you mean there's a movie that's less melodramatically romantic than Moulin Rouge? Okay, there's some melodrama in Pacific Rim. We'll, we'll get to that when we get to that. <laughs> okay. uh, that's what we'll be watching next time, and until then, where else can we find you online, Emily? I am on Twitter, at EJ Reports. And I'm on Twitter, at HeyHeyESJ. All right, that sums it up for Moulin Rouge, with or without an exclamation point. We'll see you next time. Oh, there is an exclamation point. Eh, maybe a period. Moulin Rouge! All right, see ya. Bye! This has been Giant Geek vs. Mega Noob. For more, visit GVNPodcast.com. 